Hello, hello, hello. Could you hear me? Shabbat shalom, everyone. It's been a while since I've been up here. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, uh, the, the uh, parasha for this week, Vayachi, amazing parasha. We, have, we heard just a little while ago about that it speaks about the death of Jacob and the importance of how we die. And, um, and I loved where Alex spoke about the blessing as a part of it and the legacy. And when you're going to die, you start to think about that legacy and you start to think about, you know, what are you leaving behind? Well, when we go through this, the scriptures for Vayahi, and if you'd like to open up your scriptures to Genesis 48. Genesis 48. Where we, we were going to look at some scriptures that have to do especially with legacy and with blessing. I muted. Who muted me? Okay, there. Okay, not muted. He's live from Beth Emunah. Okay. So this, this talks about the story of Jacob and Joseph and about the blessing of two of his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And from this section of scripture, we get what's called the Birkat Yaladim. The Birkat Yaladim is the blessing of the children, which we just did a few minutes ago. And this is a part not only of what we do in services, and you find that uh, the majority of synagogues do that as a part of their services, but in fact that this is something that is done every Friday night in a Jewish home as a part of a Kabbalat Shabbat, a part of receiving the Sabbath and doing the blessings that you take the children and you say, may you be like, in fact, it's Genesis 48, 20, if you'd like to look at it. And it says, on that day, Jacob blessed them. And he said, in time to come, the people of Israel will use as a blessing these words, saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And then, of course, over the years, we've added to that for the, for the women. Continuing on, and may the women be like Sarah, Rachel, Leah, Rebecca. And what are we doing when we, when we give these blessings to them? And then from this point, after they say that, they give them the Yivarechacha. The priestly blessing, just as we did during that blessing of the children. And what's so interesting here is that this becomes a model for us as parents every Shabbat to pass on blessing to our children. And of course, over the time, the, the wives have said, wait, 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 what about us? And so what we do is we add the Eshet Chayel, Proverbs 31, you read through that to your wife 
and you let her know how much you love her, how much you appreciate her, and what a blessing she is, and you give her also a blessing for the week. Now imagine what it's like every Friday night when you give this blessing to your kids and you say to them, may you be like Ephraim and Menashe. And then you put your hands, and at that point you put your hands on their head, is the tradition, and you bless them. Now it's not just every Friday night that this is done. In fact, that this has become a part of what we do during a Brit Milah, a circumcision, that what we do during any kind of a baby naming, they even do this in many B'nai Mitzvah, or uh, a Bar Mitzvah, or a Bat Mitzvah, and at weddings. Because this is the way that we, we model for our children and our children's children what this means. Now, it's interesting. We always talk about this as the, uh, uh, the blessing of the children, Birkat Yeladim. And we look at Jacob as he did this, put his hands on them and blessed them. We look at it as a father blessing his children. But in fact, Jacob wasn't the father, was he? He was the grandfather. Oh, I love that. This is the grandfather's blessing. Now that I'm a grandfather, I realize that I don't have to stop giving Lonnie and Jordan blessings, but I can go on and continue to give those blessings to Asher and Ella and Micah and Lilia, to my grandchildren too, because this is your legacy of blessing, just like Alex was saying generation after generation after generation. And when we read through the scripture, we see that it's tied to the covenant. It's tied to the promise and the birthright that Israel has. And so it becomes very important. Now, uh, the interesting thing is, we're gonna read some more of this, but in, uh, in, in the scriptures where it talks about it, it says how, how uh, uh, Jacob was like, couldn't see very well. And so he says, who are, oh yeah, Joseph and your sons. Okay, bring the sons over here because I really want to bless them. And so let's, uh, if you want to turn to Genesis 48. And we'll go down to, uh, let's see, we'll go down to verse 9. Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given to me, Ephraim and Manasseh. Then he said, please bring them to me and I may bless them, Jacob says. So Jacob, the grandfather, is going to bless them. Now Israel's eyes had grown heavy with old age. He could not see, so he brought them near to him. He kissed them and hugged them, which is always good to do to your kids and your grandkids, right? Then Israel said to Joseph, to see your face I didn't expect, uh, and look, God has let me see your offspring as well. Joseph took them from his knees, bowed with his face down to the ground. Then Joseph took the two of them, Ephraim and his right hand, across from Israel's left, and Menasheh with his left hand, across from Israel, or Jacob's right hand. And he brought them close to him. But Israel, Jacob, stretched out his right hand and placed it upon Ephraim's head. Okay, what's going on here? And he placed upon Ephraim's head that hand as if he was the uh, younger. 
uh, the older one. And he would get then, as the older child, he would get all the blessings of the elder son. And his left hand upon Menashei, his head, crossing his hands, though Menashei was the firstborn and really deserved that. Okay, you want to start a fight between your kids? You take the oldest one and say, nah, you're second place. You take the, the, the younger one and say, come on, we're dethroning this guy, and I'm giving you the birthright. Now, this kind of activity was not you know, new to the children of Israel. When we look back, we see, look at Joseph. Joseph is one of the, uh, Jacob's uh, sons, but he wasn't the oldest one, was he? He was the young, one of the younger ones. And yet, he was the one who got all the promises. And of course, being a good son uh, and loving his brothers, he decided to tell him, oh, I had this dream and you were all bowing down to me and oh, I'm really looking forward to what God has for me. <laughs> God has a way of working beyond what you, know, you plan. And of course, that didn't go over well. And then we have the whole story of the fighting and being sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites. So it didn't turn out well. A little bit of pride for Joseph ended up causing lots of problems through his life and giving a lot of tsuris to his father, to Jacob. Finally, Joseph ends up in Egypt, has to go through the prison and all of those things, go through all the testing. It wasn't an easy journey, was it? But God has a way of getting us to where he wants us to be. Now, one of the, a sidebar, one of the interesting things about these two boys, Ephraim and Menashe, where were they born? In Egypt. They were born in Egypt. They were born in a world and a culture that was totally foreign to them and as far as Israel, the land, the nation, the people, the customs, the community. They were born in a place that was filled with all kinds of strange customs and many, 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 many gods. And yet, in the midst of that, Joseph was able to steer them and to bless them. You could imagine you know, what his uh, blessings were like for them as they went through their life. Oh, God, keep them away from that God and this God and that kind of thing. The culture that they were raised in. So this becomes, for us as Jews, this becomes something very important because it teaches us a very important lesson. The lesson is that when you have your children and you bless them, that you're blessing them that they could be in the world, they, but not be a part of the world and not allow the world to become a part of them. You're blessing a, a protection over them that enables them to be able to, to deal with this world. These were the first two Jewish boys born in the exile. They were born in Egypt, and they learned to live among the nations in a way that continued to stir that being the, you know, uh, the covenant children, being those with a birthright. It's in a very important, within Judaism, it's a very important lesson. But then I started, I was reading through this, and I'm asking that question about the, the matriarchs. Because you see all this blessing going to the guys. Okay. And in fact, when you read through that in verse uh, 20, 
It says, and on that day they'll give this blessing, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. We don't have the women in there, do we? Why is it that in Judaism we made sure that the women were included in that, just like we do in uh, you know, the Amidah and other things that, that uh, allow the imachot, the mothers, to be a part of these blessings and of the liturgy and what, what's a part of us. So the rabbis ask, what is it that makes, uh, makes it important for us to recognize the mothers in this legacy? The, make, the matriarchs teach us how to overcome the problems of our childhood, the problems of our situations. Because just like with the, with the guys who were fighting all the time the, and, and you know, fighting for their birthright, the women, where, where were they? Well, the women, they were living in a world of what's called kinship relations. Kinship relations means that their only value was in who they were related to and their position. So in other words, you were married to a guy who was rich and had lots of power and, and honor, then you also received that. On the other hand, you were married to somebody who didn't have position, then you were nothing. And those things could come and those things could go very easily. All the matriarchs came from very dysfunctional homes. Many of them were very wicked homes. I mean, read through it. How many of them were, uh, were uh, put in situations because they had no power? The men or just the circumstances or the community ended up demanding that they would act in certain ways, but yet they didn't have the ability to make those decisions. They came from bad environments, like Rachel. Here she had to help you know, in her situation when she was in love with Jacob, she had to help Leah to end up married because the old, she was the older one and she deserved, got it, but her position was lower and she didn't get to marry him at first. According to Jewish tradition, these were strong women who kept their faith, who, uh, uh, that during the hardest times, and difficult situations. As a group, they endured marital problems, infertility, abduction, uh, envy, molestation, abuse from other women, and the task of raising children in very, very difficult situations. But whatever hardships came their way, these women put God and family and covenant first and eventually succeeded in building a Jewish people so that thousands of years later, we still have a Jewish community committing ourselves to that covenant. It wasn't just the guys going, hey, I'm passing down the birthrights. It was the women that were working in places that were really not easy to work who were trying to continue to, to do this. If you read through that, you see that in every situation with, these, with the men, you know, Jacob and Esau and Ishmael and all of them, that the women were involved in trying to make these things work according to God's plans. In fact, while the men were making decisions that were probably not very good, 
The women were behind the scenes trying to make these things work out the way they should. Now, who would you use if it wasn't for Sarah? I mean, you ask your daughter. If you have a daughter who's you know, maybe about 12 or so, you say, would you like to be like Sarah? Which one, Leah, Rachel? Which one would you like to be like? And they say, no, not any of those. <laughs> but you know, who do they have to look up to? Who are their models that can bring blessing into their lives? I know for my wife, Rosie, uh, she has such a desire to go into nursing. And one of the women that just was a, a role model for her was Florence Nightingale. When we went to England, we had to go to her, uh, to the place that she were, uh, came from. Because she was someone who really instructs you and blesses you and gives you part of her legacy and moves you into a place where God can use you and make you a blessing to others. Another one I was thinking of was Malala. You know, I mean, here's this young girl, and look what she went through. And then she stands up, when I think of her, standing up to the Taliban and going around the world and speaking for women to be able to stand up against that kind of evil and against that kind of hate. I mean, it amazes me. So I would say, may you be like Malala. May you be like Florence Nightingale. There's others. And they'll probably say, nah, like, make me like Madonna, make me like this and that one. You say, no, 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 no. We got some better models for you to, to go with. Today in this world, there are still many communities that are in this kind of a kinship relationship basis. They're tribal societies. I mean, think about it. In the Middle East, we, we have places like Saudi Arabia, where women are, you know, it's a big, exciting thing that they finally can drive, you know? Uh, but, you, you know, or they can go out of the house without uh, some man escorting them. I mean, think about that. There are many countries, even in Asia. I know when I was living in, in Taiwan, I worked with uh, uh, doing a, a kind of work that we, had, we would call up people, and they would call us, and they would, ask, they would ask for prayer, and we would say, what's going on? And you would not believe how many times young women would call and they came from a family of five, six, eight people. And because they were young, because in Taiwan, the, um, what the, the cliche that they have is that girls, if you have a boy, you have something good. If you have a girl, it's like dish, dish water. You just throw it out. I mean, the value on women there is very low or was, I was in there in, in Taiwan in the 70s. Hopefully things have changed there as well as here. Many in African societies is the same thing. Tribal societies are very different than what we have here. So when we give that blessing to our daughters, we're asking for God's love, God's protection. We're asking that they would be able to find their place in God's covenant community and be able to be a part of a legacy be blessed and be a blessing to others. Another point that I came across in, in reading through this is the fact that it, the younger gets blessed and the older one who we expect does not. 
This is, in the Hebrew, this is called Rav Yavod Sa'ir, the older serving the younger. We see this in Genesis 25. You will have two children in your womb, and they will fight, it says. These brothers, Jacob and Esau, and they will fight, but the younger one will serve the older. So Jacob ends up, and who is it in behind the scenes that's working to make sure this happens? That's right, their mother. Jacob and Esau. And so you could imagine why Jacob was really afraid of Esau and why he had so many problems going back there. Because he knew that he had supplanted him. The word for this is primogeniture, which is Latin meaning that the first, that the, the uh, young, that the oldest shall end up serving the younger one. As we saw there, he's going, he's getting that blessing, and Joseph sees his dad, Jacob, taking his right hand, which is the hand for the older son, and instead of putting it there upon Manasseh, he puts it upon Ephraim. And it says that he, he goes to grab his hand and say, wait a minute, you can't see very well. I'm going to tell you how this goes. But in fact, when he does that, he says, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. And it's interesting because in one of the rabbinic writings, it talks about how up till then, J Jacob was very sad. And all of a sudden, at that particular point, he was filled, that God, that God filled him with his Holy Spirit, and he did this act of switching them around. That this was an act of God. And so that's why Jacob manipulates Esau. And in the Bible, we see many of these dethroned elder brothers. And rather than getting all of the economic and land and, and uh, position and things like this, they end up being the ones to serve their younger brother. If you have a younger brother, you know, you know that that's a difficult thing to do. Isaac supplants Ishmael. Jacob supplants Esau. Rachel rules over Leah. Obviously, Joseph ends up ruling over all of his older brothers. Even David, King David, remember what happens? They think that he's the youngest one and he ends up the king of Israel. God has a way of doing that. So what is God trying to tell us? What is he trying to tell us? That when we are born, God has a plan for our life. He has a direction for us to go, a journey. And we can either go with that direction and go with that journey, or we could fight against it. And when you're in a place where you feel like your rights aren't being observed, you're gonna fight. Now, this is a time of year where many of us are getting together with our families to renew old bonds and to renew old vendettas, <laughs> right? You get together with your family and you remember that when, you know, so-and-so's son spilled something on the carpet back, you know, 25 years ago, and you're still mad about it and don't want that person in your house. And anytime their name comes up, it's like, tweet, tweet, tweet. 
right? <laughs> but God created us and put us in a place where we could be what he wants us to be. And when you give that blessing, that's what you're doing. And God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't look on the outward things. He looks inside. And what he saw in these people. So according to the rabbis, what did, what did God see in uh, Ephraim that made him the one that got the blessing? What was it in Manasseh that these two boys who were not even born in Israel, who weren't even the sons, and yet I look up on the wall and I see the names of the children and I see them there, Ephraim and Manasseh. How did they get in there? How did they get adopted as Jacob's sons? The same as all, he says, you will be as uh, Reuben and Simeon, you will be as my sons. I am now adopting you in verse 5. So think of that. How did they get into this position? What is it about God's work here? Well, the rabbis say it's because normally we would think, Manasseh, if I was you, I would go out, find a gun, go get your brother, make a little trap, sell him to the Ishmaelites, or do something else to get rid of him and to, to, to dethrone him and to take back your rights. You need to fight for your rights. So he should have done a good job. But instead, it says that Ephraim and Manasseh lived in peace and harmony. They got together. So that's why he says, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh because they were people who were able to be a legacy of bringing peace and harmony along with that covenant. And it changed all of that fighting that we see before that. And now we see this change. And then he's able, Jacob is able to go in the end of Genesis to give all of his prophetic blessing to all of his family. But first he had to take care of this to make this as a blessing. May you, God, make you a blessing like Ephraim and like Manasseh. You can let pride, hate, jealousy, rejection, prejudice, fear, any of these things end up causing issues in your family with brothers, with sisters, with parents, with, or within any community. You can make that a part of your community life with jealousy and, and you know, my rights and, you know, how come they got to the Oneg before me and, you know, whatever it is that really gets you mad. But instead, they were models of what it means to be a blessing. Now, the last point I have here is this whole concept of Ephraim. Because Ephraim is more, a lot more, than just the younger son who, who ended up sneaking the blessing out. It is from Ephraim that Joshua comes, that Samuel the prophet comes, 
even some of the king's descent. It eventually becomes the name of the 10 northern uh, tribes. The northern kingdom is called not only Israel, but Ephraim. And it's interesting because Jacob is Israel and Ephraim becomes Israel. That connectivity that starts right here becomes a part of the land itself. The entire northern kingdom becomes Ephraim. Now, as I was looking through some of the rabbinic writings on this, I found in the Pasikta Rabbatai, which is uh, a Midrashic writing uh, from the late Talmudic period, and it, started, it says this, and it really, uh, it was amazing. I was so awed by it. It talks about the Messiah, who is the light hidden under God's throne, who is revealed, and he's revealed to Satan to let Satan know that darkness has no place. And so Satan asks, what is his name? And God speaks to Satan and says, it is the Messiah and his name is Ephraim, the Messiah of righteousness. And he goes on to say, in the time to come, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will say, Ephraim, our righteousness, our righteous Messiah, though we are ancestors, you are greater than us. For you have borne the sins of our children and have borne heavy punishments unlike any generation. Here he speaks about Ephraim as being the name of the Messiah, the righteous one. May you be like Ephraim. It says to us that Yeshua is that true model and legacy of all of this. That when we say to our kids, you know, may you be like Ephraim and Manashe, what you're saying is may you be like Messiah, the righteous Messiah, Yeshua. Because it's it's not just what you can fight for or what you can grab a hold of. It's not how much money that you make or how much power you can attain or any of these other things. It's can you be that model of blessing and pass this on every Friday night from generation to generation to those children when they're born in their circumcision for the, for the kids that go through B'nai uh, Mitzvah for every one of them. Can we continue to pass on that covenant of righteousness that we see in our model, Yeshua? May Yeshua be formed in us, is what you're saying. May Yeshua be formed in you, my son. Lonnie, Jordan, Asher, Mike, may Yeshua be formed in you, and you give them that blessing. Let's pray. Avinu Malkenu, our Father, our King, we thank you and bless you. Lord, that you have given to us uh, these rituals that help to teach us what you really want from us. Teach us about the humility of Yeshua so that we can really become 
formed by that. Teach us what it means to live in peace and harmony in our families. Father, I pray for those this, this holiday time that are getting together with family and maybe there's some issues that still haven't been ironed out. I pray that you would make them really ambassadors of peace and harmony. May, them be like, may they be like Ephraim and Menashe. For the, for the daughters and the women, Lord God, may they be those who are strong in whatever the circumstances that they are in, may they continue to work your plans and your covenant in the world around. May they be strong. May they work in a way that really glorifies you and blesses. Father, we have such opportunity as parents to bless, as grandparents to bless, in our communities to bless, at work to be a blessing. Let us more and more be like Ephraim and Manasseh. In Yeshua's name, amen.